and welcome to Formula for Success. I'm David Coulthard, and alongside me, virtually, thankfully, in a studio far, far away, is Eddie Jordan. Yes, I'm still here, David, looking forward to it. Lots have gone on in the last couple of weeks. And we're here to tell this tale. Yeah, you look a bit broken, actually. Have you been, uh, like, I don't know, doing senior cage fighting or something? It's almost bitten your ear off. What uh, the hell's going senior. on? I told you about being ageist in the past. Um, things like that we can't talk about. Um, I've had uh, an eardrum replaced. You know, I was around in Formula One when engines actually sounded like proper Formula One engines. And uh, unfortunately, we never put earplugs uh, in our ears. And uh, as a result, I wound up with very damaged ears. So everyone out there, do protect your ears, guys, because it doesn't matter what walk of life you're doing. Um, they're only the ones that you've got and you make sure that you look after them and uh, do put the protectors in when you need to. Was it only one or are you getting the other one done at another point? David... Uh, I'd be quiet of you. you. You you just can't wait to slag me off here, can you? You're just waiting to have a go. I'm not going to let you. You're not going to let me. All right, well, let's get into the show. And uh, we're going to preview 2024 F1, of course, not long now. And we've got two special guests who love Formula One as much as we do. And that's P1's Matt and Tommy. Um, so, Matt and Tommy, how the devil are you? I saw you both in uh, Milton Keynes for the Red Bull launch only yesterday. Uh, you, neither of you look like you've aged since then. <laughs> we're very good we're very good yes it was uh awesome to be at the car launch yesterday it was uh actually quite a um refreshing feeling to have a formula one team actually do a car launch this year so uh yeah it was great you know 20 years of red bull and um to, to be there was uh was was a special special experience yeah it's cool to see an actual car after essentially uh us sort of doing our car launch reactions and a lot of them nowadays just being released on YouTube with a very short video. So it was cool that that we got to experience it. And it's always nice to see Formula One cars in person as well. When did you two first become interested in Formula One? And and the, you know, the P1 podcast, uh, how did that come about? Well, for me, um, my dad brainwashed me from a very, very young age. Um, you know, I'm thinking about two years old, probably even earlier, just plonked in front of a TV. So I've been infatuated in Formula One ever since day dot, really. And... Uh, yeah, I'd never thought I'd work in Formula One and then eventually got involved um, doing YouTube presenting. And that's when I met Tommy about seven years ago. We then built a, a previous brand up to a million followers this, a million followers that. And it was a really awesome sort of Formula One community that we built. We then last year in February launched P1, where myself and Tommy merged together to create uh, our own special little brand, doing podcasts, live shows, YouTube channel, lots of things. And we've kind of had an amazing uh, last year and uh, yeah, I think Tommy's quite a similar path. Yeah, definitely. I, I've I've mentioned a few times because I can actually pinpoint the exact moment I liked watching Formula One and kind of got drawn into it. Uh, and it's actually quite funny being on with you two because it is one of Eddie's cars flying over the back of you, David, in Melbourne 96, uh, where I remember as a young kid watching that on TV, going, that looks really cool, I want to watch that. And that that is the thing that drew me in. And then as soon as we watched one race, I think we watched the highlights of that race, uh, me and my mum and dad were like hooked and we just watched every single race like afterwards and instantly became like super fans of it. Well, EJ probably remembers the repair bill on that particular accident. It was <laughs> yeah. Martin Brundle who was flying over the back of me. So EJ, if that doesn't cause you too much uh, pain remembering that particular crash, um, any any other memories of that, that Grand Prix in Melbourne? Um, 
other than the fact that uh, Melbourne was a classic race and we love going there, great social vibe uh, and a great atmosphere and the mixture of being in a park, it just had a, a unique thing about it but Brundle did manage to absolutely destroy that car and I think uh, in reality it was probably the closest David Coulthard got to driving a Jordan car or the closest he got to a cockpit of a Jordan car because it was right over his head. Um, Guys I just want to ask you a question and it's about DC. You were at that Red Bull party, he presented the show, I just read something that he he dropped one or two clangers um, and I just wanted to know uh, how many other ones he did. What was he like? Like, Matt, come on, tell me. I can see, I can see the, uh, yeah, I can see the the relationship here is is brilliant between you two. Um, it's funny actually because we did our our live podcast reaction there, and I was very complimentary of David and the way in which I actually think I used the word seduced the audience in the way in which he speaks. So it's. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm actually quite complimentary of how David is on camera and how he presents. So I'm sorry, EJ. I'm on, I'm on David's side this time. Oh, you dick! Um, I <laughs> suddenly dislike you. Um, I never really liked you, and um, I, 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 you know, Tommy's different. He comes from Northampton, so we have a kind of a synergy there. But Matt, I will not talk to you again. <laughs> <laughs> right. For discipline, given that we're all in different studios, um, we, we, we're thinking, we, if I throw out a question, EJ, you can go first, then Matt, then Tommy, in terms of uh, this question, which is, what do we think the finishing order is going to be? Get your crystal balls out, boys. Look, I have to look at the situation uh, generally. I think there's some turmoil or upset or... I don't know what's going on with the top three teams. We've seen Red Bull with Christian. Um, we've seen Lewis with, with Mercedes and, and Ferrari will lose signs. So, you know, there is those things to consider. Will they upset the team? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Could this be an opportunity for McLaren to, to come in? I think they've got a really, really sound technical team now. I've been critical of Zach in the past, but I have to say he's pulling a couple of really rabbits out of the hat here because I think he has a very good team. He's very solid, good sponsorship, and um, they could be the surprise. So the answer to the question is I don't see Red Bull uh, losing in any shape or form. Will they win the same level of races? Mm, possibly not. Uh, although I think their car was the pick of the crop of the launches. I thought it was looked great and uh, very strong, very polished and a lot of thought gone into it. Uh, possibly McLaren, can they really do it? I'd like to think so, but I, I, I really don't think so. I think uh, Mercedes will be second again and uh, Ferrari third. And I think there'll be no change personally. Well, I think uh, Crystal Balls show Red Bull. Um, I guess from a fan perspective, it'd be amazing to have a, a closer fight at the front. McLaren, of course, showed a lot of promise last year. The only thing that kind of draws me back a little bit is how slowly they started the last couple of years. And it was then a you know a build-up to the middle of the season where eventually they got quick again. So uh, I, I was quite petrified when I saw that Red Bull be released, especially when it seems like every other team started to try and copy the last... RB19, and then uh, Red Bull have gone, well, actually, no, we're going to change it completely and um, and and sort of completely change the development uh, of, of their cars. So uh, I think Red Bull for sure. Um, Ferrari, as a Ferrari fan, a Charles Leclerc fan, it would be nice to see them be up there, but the the tyre degradation issues they had last year was, was really quite painful to watch. I'm sure they'll get a few poles, but 
I just feel like it is going to be very much Max Verstappen and, and how he performed last year was was unbelievable. So uh, I think it will be the same again this year, unfortunately. But people should still watch Formula One. That's what I always <laughs> say. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think anyone can really see uh, it being anyone other than Red Bull that the advantage that they had last year and obviously that carries over. So I think they will be, uh, I mean, it would be incredible maybe not for neutral Formula 1 fans, uh, if they could improve on what they did last year, essentially winning every race. Uh, I can't see that happening. But I actually predicted in our preseason predictions that I thought Mercedes might be the most underwhelming team. I just got this feeling that McLaren might even beat them in the in the constructors, which then, um, not sure how much of it uh, is based on that, but it was funny that we made that prediction and then immediately Hamilton announced he was leaving Mercedes and going to Ferrari. So <laughs> maybe he's, he knows something about the, their car. I was completely surprised uh, Hamilton uh, announcing he was going to Ferrari. I had him absolutely, you know, having a legacy contract with Mercedes and continuing to be part of their marketing campaign well into his retirement. But um, yeah, uh, brilliant news in terms of... Uh, off season, but uh, a bit of a risk, isn't it? And I put forward that I think that going up against a 26, 27 year old, whatever age you'll be at that time, Charles Leclerc, could be challenging, could be his greatest challenge. And of course, those fans of Lewis who feel that any opinion other than theirs is not valid have already cut me down with the reminder I love how that you, you've realised that as well. No, yeah. surely not. They, they, they always love to remind me that you've never won a championship. What do you know about anything? Well, I actually only know what I know. And um, when it comes to opinions, I don't feel my opinions any more valid than anyone else's unless it's coming down to a real life experience of driving a Grand Prix car. So where, where do you guys sit on on my theory that this could be his biggest challenge? Well, as a Charles Leclerc fan, uh, I, I obviously I'm going to back uh, back Charles uh, quite, quite heavily here. But I think it, it could well be, especially, as you say, in the sort of twilight of his career, a, a move not just to any team, but to Ferrari. It's such a shift in um, ways of working and uh, just even the as, as basic as communication with all of your engineers and the people around you. That's something that that Lewis will have to work around as well. Uh, from, from our perspective and from mine, you know, firstly, the news absolutely rocked the entire F1 world. Like It was the biggest news I think I can, I can remember maybe since Michael Schumacher decided to come back with Mercedes. Like It was absolutely bombshell. Um, it was. I almost spilt my caviar as I was sitting on the terrace drinking <laughs> champagne. It was a real shocker. Um, yeah, so it was, I, I genuinely think it'll be a, a really uh, interesting phase for him. For me, it just seems as though it is a roll of the dice. It's uh, Lewis looking at his career and going, well, I've done a lot with Mercedes. I'm not seeing the trends that I used to see with Mercedes. I've always wanted to drive a Ferrari, you know, and be in red and make 100 million a year or whatever he's going to be making. And also, I think, you know, there's been a, a few things floating around around how Ferrari were just willing to invest more and to put more into, I guess, that legacy that you, you mentioned, DC, there, where where he wants to build his other foundations and, and things like that as well. So, uh, it just seemed like Ferrari gave him a better offer and Mercedes weren't willing to. And in some ways, it just felt like Mercedes were starting to look around and be like, right, who next after Lewis? And perhaps Lewis didn't didn't appreciate that. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Charles Leclerc over one lap is absolutely brilliant. And I think Lewis will have a hard time um, beating that. But it, you can never discount Lewis in a race. He is uh, incredible. So that that's my stance. They're both almost quite opposite in the stage of their career at the moment in the fact that I think Hamilton 
I always say on a podcast, and it does sound crazy to say when he's got like a hundred odd poles or something, but I don't think that is his like speciality in Formula One. Um, obviously, he had a very good car to achieve that, but he comes alive in the races, and he's kind of a an intelligent driver in that sense. And you know, even even last year, we were all all talking about our oh, Mercedes. Uh, you know, they're not there; they're in crisis. And Hamilton finishes comfortably third in the championship and Mercedes finished second and he's got that consistency which is why he's you know won multiple championships whereas Charles is one of those drivers that has unbelievable speed but maybe still prone to the odd mistake and and a bit like rough around the edges maybe and needs to improve on that side so I could see it going like uh Hamilton maybe beating Charles in the races, but in qualifying it's a lot closer and maybe Charles being quicker. But yeah, the news was unbelievable, like like you say, like an, a crazy story. It's one of those things. It reminds me of the, the London Grand Prix story that gets thrown around when journalists are bored to like bring it up every single year. And it's always that like, oh, it's a quiet off season, let's throw Hamilton to Ferrari. And then we were going, oh no, this is actually like, this is happening. We're, this is getting a lot of traction. And yeah, what an amazing story. And David, actually, one thing that we, me and Tommy have discussed a lot, I'd love to get your uh, opinion on it, was um, around this whole number one, number two dynamic, Leclerc obviously being the golden boy, but now H- Hamilton coming in. I just find that fascinating as to how that's going to unfold. Like, wh- How do you see that whole dynamic? Yeah, it's a very good point. And having experienced that um, through my time in Formula One, you know, in, in terms of contract, I always had um, a, a clearly defined equal opportunity, which in those days was defined by whether you got use of T-car and, and things like that. You can, of course, never truly know uh, what engine's being strapped in the back. But to that end, McLaren used to have the number one mechanics on Mika's car or my car uh, pull from a hat the engine numbers to take away any doubt as to, as to uh, uh, you know, which engine uh, was being allocated to which car. It doesn't actually mean that those numbers weren't added later um, if, I thought, <laughs> if I thought Mika had a bit more straight line performance. But, you know, I think it is important that it's one of the greatest challenges for a team principal, a team generally. How do you give the drivers both the perception that they're being fairly and equally treated. I think what's going to be um, the benefit for Charles will be the fact he speaks Italian, he uh, is within driving distance of of the, the factory and he goes regularly to the factory. Uh, for Lewis, he'll rely heavily on his relationship with Fred and any of the team members he brings with him from Mercedes. Let's assume somebody will come along and I would certainly look to do that. I did that when I left Williams and joined McLaren. I took my race engineer, David Brown, because I wanted the continuity of knowledge. You know, the engineer is really your your, your hard drive of knowledge uh, in terms of what you've expressed as a feeling when you're out on track. And then they, they know what of the adjustments they've made previously worked for you. So uh, I don't think it will be destabilizing for Charles having the might of Lewis come into the team. I think that the fact that the the Latin element and the Ferrari element, they, they just love the drivers full stop. So I think it'll be balanced uh, and it will be down to pure performance. You know, Ferrari have a situation in the past where uh, one driver seems to be always way in front of the other and, and vice versa. Um, I think this will be different. I think Lewis is going there to to win. If he can't win his eighth title at, at Mercedes this year, he's definitely focused on winning it at Ferrari because that would be like a dream come true. And, um, you know, that's why I don't see a real big issue. I don't think we should even be discussing it or concerned about it too much because Lewis is that good. 
And did you ever favour a driver in your team? Always. Um, it's a natural thing. You know, you can't love two different girls at the same... Well, maybe, I don't know about you, David, but I can't love two girls at the same time. I can't love two drivers at the same time. You always have to have a preference, but you try and curtail it and you kind of cloak it over and you don't let it be seen. And you, Because it's drivers are very, very... Uh, perceptive they can feel uh, love so clearly um, and love comes in many different ways so you embrace both the same and you talk to them the same and and no matter what it is one will always feel uh, favored over the other and um, that's something that is in life it's not just in relationships with it whether it's uh, in the home or in work or in the playground or wherever it is, um, you will always have one favourite footballer, you'll always have one favourite driver. It's, it's a natural thing. Um, the important thing is never to show it. Yeah, well, I, as you've demonstrated perfectly on this podcast by you know giving equal love to both Matt and Tommy and not 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 declaring uh, a preference for one or the other, um, right? Just uh, gents, let, let's um, just expand on the the Ferrari um, situation and that science. Uh, we're all waiting to find out where he's going. Uh, the the safe money would suggest a sort of sauber into Audi. Um, because of the obvious links to his father. But he is a very potent, available for next year solution for a Mercedes or any other team that suddenly uh, had a, a space within. You know, Red Bull potentially could be there. He's got previous history with them. Uh, although uh, Checo does seem refreshed and, and ready to go and up for the challenge. So where, where do you both see that? Before we come to EJ, where, where are you feeling, your, your gut feeling telling you he might be going? So I think, yeah, um, steak, Sauber, kick, whatever they're called. I think he, he would go there. And I guess from his side, it would be a shame to see a driver that highly rated, maybe driving not a great car for a year or so, uh, and then hoping that Audi, like a Mercedes, you know, new regulation change and they, they can really improve. And, and then I think he'd be, you know, a really, a really good there. I do think he's like he's not like up there with your know, Verstappens and Hamiltons, in my opinion. I think he's a very like mentally strong driver and intelligent driver that maybe sometimes lacks a bit of speed, but has that like good consistency. So I think he would be a good solid driver for someone like Mercedes or like a Red Bull to partner Max, where he wouldn't cause too many issues. But then. I do think that his best bet is to go to Audi and potentially see if he can build a team around him, which is seems to be a, a trend at the moment of, you know, Formula One teams like locking in, you know, like McLaren locking in Lando for years and years and Verstappen doing it with Red Bull, like building this team around you. Um, so I could see him going there personally. If you'd thrown in handsome, Tommy, I would have thought that you were sort of talking about me back in the day. <laughs> uh, Matt, what do you think? Uh, I'm of the same opinion. I think that Audi seems to be the, the route for, for Carlos eventually due to his ties, you know, his dad's there and, and that sort of stuff. I think I do feel quite sorry actually for Carlos because I don't think there's many drivers that would have kicked him out that Ferrari seat in 2025. But unfortunately, if Lewis Hamilton comes knocking, you've got to move move aside. So for Carlos, he's got an interesting path. You know, we speak about Mercedes, but 
for me, it just doesn't compute in my brain why, I guess, cars would go there for potentially a year and then have to think about going somewhere else because it seems as though Merca, looking at Kimi Antonelli, even though he's not driven a, a, a corner in F2 yet, uh, and there's this whole kind of hype around him. Of course, there's Alex Albon as well that you'd think is quite a, a suitable fit for Mercedes potentially. So, so for me, I don't think Carlos going to Merck would be a good idea for either party. I think that it does seem as though having a year of just you know, doing whatever in that green car will, will be what's uh, ahead of him. And then, as Tommy says, having that team around him, that's how you win a world championship. I think going into a team as a number two, yet you're going to struggle. And it's clear that Carlos has that fire in him. Like he is, he might not be the fastest driver on the grid, but he knows that he can still win a world championship because sometimes, you know, luck just falls your way and you get a, an amazing car. And as long as you can beat your teammate, you might win a world championship. So I think, uh, yeah, Audi is his best bet. So EJ, you've got a soft spot for for Carlos uh, Junior and Senior. You know you know them both well, and um, so I'd be curious to know your feelings um, on where he could go. And I suspect the second part of that question, if, from a Mercedes point of view, you, you've always been a big backer of youth. So would that see you overlook a Carlos for, uh, as was just suggested there, uh, Kimi? Is it Antonelli or Antonucci? I can sorry, I can't quite remember. Antonelli, his, yeah. his, like, Antonelli. I, I'll regret not getting his name right first time. EJ. Uh, this Audi thing is nonsense. Guys, get a grip. It's listen. We've had Toyota. We've had we've had BMW. We've had Honda. We've had endless numbers of big manufacturers. It doesn't happen like that. It takes years to build it up. I don't care who's there. It's absolute nonsense. Carlos, if he's going to have a big career in Formula One, has to stick and hang out for Mercedes, McLaren, Red Bull, or somebody in that ilk, and he's good enough. We started a season not that long ago with Nico Rosberg and no one gave him a chance against uh, Lewis Hamilton. And he proved us all wrong. And I see a huge similarity between Carlos Sainz and Nico Rosberg. He's lurking in the background. He's got enormous talent. He looks brilliant. He acts brilliant. He behaves brilliant. I am telling you, in my opinion, he is ready-made because when the board members are sitting down and remember, it's not just Toto, it's not just Zach Brown, it's not just Christian Horner. There are other people at play who make decisions happen. And I believe that Carlos Sainz has a huge potential and he will be in a top team. Well, I, um, I've been schooled yet again. Does that answer the question? Yeah, it does and answers it brilliantly. And EJ, you continually surprise me after all these years um, with just <laughs> seeing things in it from a different point of view. So a very difficult gentleman to to disagree with what uh, EJ has just said in terms of the, the Rosberg analogy. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that, that, yeah, I mean, science, he is a, a very good driver. And yeah, I, I guess Rosberg was one of those people that, People didn't think he could do it, and then he's given the opportunity. He's maybe been a little bit underrated against Charles Leclerc because he's not got that insane speed, but then he's always been quite close to him in the championship. But, I mean, what I will say is I don't I don't necessarily think the Audi thing is going to work. I just feel like that is what he'd, he'd go for because I do agree that, like, it would be a minor miracle because, they, you know, they came in with all these press releases like, oh, you know, we're going to shake up the grid. And I think they were like doing like little digs at Mercedes to be like, this is the main German team. And I'm thinking like, you know, you're you're finishing races in 16th and 17th at the moment. You've got a long way, <laughs> a long way to go to suddenly be this, this powerhouse and won't happen 
uh, overnight, but maybe that's something that, that Carlos thinks could happen, uh, even if uh, I don't buy that Audi will will suddenly become like world champions overnight. Yeah, and I think the route for Carlos, it's more just around uh, the actual seats that are available. If Merck decide to not go with Carlos, then, you know, where does Carlos go? And I think that's the route probably that's uh, the, the the simplest and maybe even the only route for, for Carlos that will be available to him. Um, no, I don't think me or Tommy think he'll be world champion in 2026, but in the long run, potentially, he might he might be sold the dream. So we'll see. Yeah, I guess uh, if I was him, I'd want to know where Audi are in the development of the 2026 engine because that's where they're targeting. That's their intro. You know, they're Ferrari-powered at the moment. They won't have that. And it, it's, as we've seen, you know, the world champions right now, Honda, but when they first entered, it was a bit of a struggle if you don't get that initial concept right with all the budget restrictions. Um, so... Yeah, big big challenge, but yep, I think we're all united in our support for Char uh, for Carlos, excuse me, and um, wish him all the best this season. He he could welcome come and surpass Charles. You know, he's good in the races, and I've got a hand up from um, Mr. Jordan. I remember you deciding not to drive for Jaguar, and then you went to Red Bull, and that's possibly you know some people take a year out, and I think that's possibly something that Carlos may consider. I also like to consider something that I do believe if there's a bottleneck at McLaren and if Oscar does the job that I think he hopefully can do, it may be difficult for Nando. And I would think that Mark Webber, our great friend and colleague on this program and other television shows, I think Mark could really be sensible and take him out of there and put him into Audi because that it was his home and he won so many Le Mans and various other things. as a connection there, of course, uh, with Porsche and that family group. And I think Oscar could easily go there, releasing a place in McLaren. You know, maybe Sainz could come back there. That That's a possibility as well. I think... I think if we just think that we're looking at a set of circumstances that's not going to change, I think you will see huge change in the driver market in the next year because that's already started uh, by by Lewis going and, and he's starting, if you like, the rollerball situation. Yeah, well, I, I definitely, I think that's a, an interesting point of view. The driver market, as we know, no rookies on the grid this year. Eddie and the uh, Formula for Success podcast previously, you have um, been like, I'm trying to think of the strength of word, which is actually reflects your vociferous. disappointment. You were vociferous in 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 your vociferous. condemnation of uh, Formula One management for the teams not having a rookie out there. For me, I, it's a huge part of the race weekend. How did the rookie do? What was he up against? Did he perform well? Is he proud of himself? Has where has he got to learn? Um, was he on the right part of the track? By not having it, it takes away a lot of the excitement for me. I just like to see how young drivers manage themselves, uh, control themselves inside the team environment on the racetrack. I think a rookie is so important every year. I'm just so disappointed that's not the case. Yeah. Well, that, to our guests then, um, I'm not sure how closely you follow the, the lower formulas, but other than, um, as we talked about, Kimi Antonelli being a potential at Mercedes, who, who who do you think is the rookie coming up or the rookie on the sidelines that is a reserve driver that deserves a crack? And um, a, a follow up to that, of course, is who does that mean is popping out of Formula One at the end of 24? Who's had their chance and uh, should be set off to pastures new? I think the one 
driver, sorry, Tommy, that, that sticks out for me is Oli Behrman. Um, I think that he's someone that, you know, he's he's rocked up in free practice one and been on par with whoever was running alongside him, which is an incredibly impressive feat to, to, to show off immediately. So I would say that Formula 2 has been quite, I want to say disappointing the last couple of years. There's not been that excitement that, I mean, there's obviously a reason to tune in to watch racing, but that extra element of a Charles Leclerc or a George Russell or whoever it might be, a Lando Norris coming through, I don't feel like there's been that hype until obviously, you know, we've spoken about Kimi. But I think, yeah, Ollie Behrman would probably be my pick to to be on the grid um, very soon and, and to perhaps replace Kevin Magnussen, who I think both myself and Tommy were quite surprised how quickly he was signed last year um, to stay on. We thought perhaps his seat might have been up for grabs, but but yeah, I think Ollie Behrman for me. Uh, I think it's a shame that uh, Teo Porcher um, hasn't got got a chance to show what he can do. You know, he's a young driver. He's he's come in. Uh, maybe he's not been as spectacular as like your Charles Leclerc, Landon Norris, and whatever in the junior formula. But you know, at the end of the day, like he's won the championship. And then I think I think it's a huge shame. And I do agree with with Eddie that like rookies now. You, know, you you win a championship and then the rule is that you can't continue in that series and your reward for essentially winning the championship is that you just wear the team kit and sit on the pit wall with some headphones on like i think that's like just not not right and now with the, now with the lack of testing and things like that uh, we don't have third cars like we used to or in in the sessions i think it was like the mid 2000s where you know a young driver would would go out and do a bit of running on the friday um we don't get to see how good these people are and if no one takes a risk everyone's reaction to verstappen i remember him like crashing a show car and everyone being like this is ridiculous he can't let a 17 year old drive and look at look at him now so if we don't have that opportunity we'll never get to see any new talent and it's a shame and that, that just adds even more annoyance to them not allowing kind of new teams in because new teams equals more seats and then we get rookies in and and new drivers and yeah it's a big shame that that essentially going into a new season I know we've got the excitement of silly season for the year after but we're going into a new season everything's the same yeah do not get Eddie started on not allowing new teams in <laughs> he will see steam <laughs> coming from below his bandaged uh, we, ear we've been the same David just as a matter of interest wouldn't that be when we now analyse it that increase it to 12 um the, the new teams cannot qualify for money like what happened in my day for the first year and to, to whatever it is. But they are compelled to have a driver who hasn't been in Formula One. One of their drivers has to be a rookie. Wouldn't that be a really nice way of doing it? In other words, here's this young team coming in. They, they, they've been granted a slot. In other words, the 11th slot or the 12th slot, but they have to bring a young driver on board. Um, and I, I think they would jump at it because <clears throat> that's what that's what Formula One needs. It needs new life. It needs new new excitement and it needs new drivers. Um, it's just a given for me, but I don't want to keep going on about it because everyone will get bored. So tell me, guys, um, Eddie and I obviously have many uh, opinions um, through our uh, different journeys uh, through the through the sport. As as two that are now, um, you know, obviously active with your own podcast, 
but um, you know, you've grown up uh, as being fans, like we all did, I guess. What, what is the what is the, the one thing if you were selling it? You know, we, we, somebody comes from Mars, and we're selling you, your biggest love of the sport, and equally on the other side, your biggest frustration. What is the thing where you go? You know, is it the the fact that we don't allow eleven uh, extra teams? Is it the young driver thing, or is it? you know, no refueling or one-time manufacturer. What is it that is your biggest love and your biggest hate? Oh, that's a great question. It's really annoying because we usually ask other people this. <laughs> we never think about ourselves. <laughs> um, I think for me, the love of Formula One is just the the element of the unknown. When those five lights go on, you just have absolutely no idea what's going to go on. You've got all these storylines. You've got all the drivers with their own missions and whether it's to score points or to score uh, to get a victory or a podium or they're trying to save their seat i just love the whole story and theater of formula one um and you know it's it's so funny how we've kind of gone from you know both me and tommy growing up no one wanting to talk about formula one uh you know oh it's around going around in circles now you've got all our friends going oh have you watched the last race well of course i have i've been watching it for 20 years where have you been um they're the people from mars that i've been trying to convince for 20 years so uh yeah that that's kind of the the way i'd go with that and then my frustration i just feel like there's a disconnect between f1 and the decisions and the fans that watch i feel like there's some decisions that are great and they're willing to to try things. And I think that's what at least I sit on is that if they're willing to try things and try new things, then that's great. But I also feel like they don't quite understand what fans want. Like the sprint weekends, for example, like I just feel like they, they got that wrong for a few years and they've finally tweaked it a little bit so that we haven't got this qualifying into qualifying into race into race they've now changed it so the sprint quality is on the friday but still i think that there's there's room for for making it better and even the drivers as well like you hear the drivers saying yeah they should do this that and the other and you think well who's actually listening to this so i feel like the disconnect is something that i i get quite annoyed about yeah for me like it's so hard to put my finger on like one thing that that i love about formula one i mean the racing is the the be all and end all for me like when you get uh, exciting battles between uh, two cars I don't think there's a better a better sport when you get like a really good Grand Prix uh, like Silverstone 2022 stands out in terms of like you know watching cars pass and repass each other uh, and that excitement and thrill there new fans are starting to get that it is more than just cars driving around on a racetrack there's this whole theater and and drama around it as well and and storylines um and then the one thing that annoys me I think is probably that the cars I think are getting too heavy and big to be able to race properly, overtake, and while I do think DRS has a place in Formula One to allow them to be able to race each other, the one thing that frustrates me is like essentially like watching overtakes happen on the straight before the braking zone, and and it's just like you know exactly where the overtake is going to be rather than it being like that that surprise where like you don't know if someone's going to outbreak someone and that that for me was like something that was so exciting when i used to used to watch it when i was youngest so probably probably that yeah well ej uh, it would be easy for me to go your your biggest uh, attraction in formula 1 was the money as you've been a successful entrepreneur but i, I guess as an ex racer it, it was must have been an underlying just love of competition was it not of course. I mean, you, you keep joking about this money business. Um, and uh, But of course, I, I, I am 
attracted to any deal. It doesn't matter whether it's a money deal or a no money deal. I just like things happening and I like putting things together. But I just would like to come back to Matt because I think he actually raised something that was really important. When you see rules and regulations, do you say, ah, Liberty have got that right or Liberty has got that wrong or FOM, whoever, that that group? Or do you ever turn around and say, the president of the FIA... um, um, that's not a good decision. Who do you look to? Do you look to the FIA or do you look to the Liberty? Um, I think probably the FIA if it's to do more with the, the rule changes, but I suppose it is a collective group of decisions. It's more just an outrage, I guess, just that way. And then <laughs> whoever wants to take responsibility uh, can. So I guess the thing is that the fans probably don't feel particularly heard in the way, in, you know, their opinion. So they will just shout at the wall and then that's what it feels like. So, and that's probably where our frustrations go is in the circular social media environment. But um, but yeah, it's probably just, hey, Formula One, please listen to us. And uh doesn't really feel like they do. To Tommy, um, is it not time to take a, a stand? And let's see, where are we going with Formula One? What can we do to make it better and to make it a better show to represent everybody's view? The way Formula One cars are getting, you know, bigger and heavier. and then And then we're there talking about like, are oh, the same the same guys winning every race because the cars are easier to drive and they're a bit more on rails. There's no discredit to to the drivers, but you're not going to get as many mistakes and you're not going to get people passing in corners and stuff because everyone's essentially on the limit and they're getting everything they can out of a car. And if everyone's braking at the last second and doing almost metronomic great laps, then how are you ever going to get overtaking or, or have drama? And, you know, you don't see anywhere near as many, uh, not that this is what you want in Formula One, but DNFs and things like that, because we're seeing more and more now where, yeah, you, you are like having, uh, it's, it's crazy to me what growing up watching Formula One in like the 90s and 2000s, and then now you get three cars retiring and it's like a race of attrition compared to whereas I remember watching, you know, Monaco where like only three cars finished and stuff. Um, so, and that's when you get like crazy different results. So I think, yeah, the weight of the car and the, the engines is something that I think has maybe taken it in the the wrong direction. And while we've got all these new fans that are fascinated by the drama and the the excitement of the sport at the end of the day like if the racing is good i think a lot of them essentially have been spoiled by what happened in 2021 and then they've got into the sport and then maybe we've not had as as much excitement on the track as i think that we uh had in previous years yeah, when you mentioned that Monaco uh, race where only three cars finished, I think that those uh, exceptional three drivers who finished uh, and all should have been given the points for the, the four, five and six that didn't finish, but uh, that would have helped with uh, bonuses and the like. Well, gentlemen, just conscious conscious of your time, um, I'm just going to, uh, I think, uh, wrap it up just with rapid fire, two words, the, and it can be a, a team name or, or a driver name, or it can be two driver names or two team names. But the, the, the question for the two answers is, you know, biggest hit this year, biggest success and biggest disappointment. McLaren, biggest hit, uh, biggest disappointment, Aston Martin. Tommy? I'll go for Visa Cash App RB as biggest 
surprise. I don't think they're going to obviously win the World Championship, but I think they'll surprise people. And uh, underwhelming Mercedes. Are you, by the way, an ambassador for Visa or Cash App? The fact that you gave them the full <laughs> no, ident. V, we've been calling it V-Carb. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, does it? Every time it got mentioned in that launch yesterday, I was like, it's very um, clunky. It's very American, yeah, to check our it? emails, Tommy. I feel like you've signed a deal without letting me know. Yeah. <laughs> right, drum roll as we get the great visionary that is Eddie Jordan, who's going to give us... Biggest hit, biggest um, disappointment. Yeah, it's interesting how people uh, see the championship, but it's really hard. <clears throat> Red Bull is such a well-oiled operation, how good they are. Max is, in my opinion, light years ahead of anyone else. That's a big statement, but that's what I think. I think he he's there to be beaten, but I don't see it happening. So I think from a success point of view, I think Max and Red Bull... I think the disappointment may unfortunately be Ferrari because um, despite the fact that Fred Vasseur, he, he has mobilised his people, uh, it's a great team. I, 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 You know, they finished third last year. I think their problem is trying to keep uh, McLaren behind them. That will be it. And I think uh, Ferrari probably going to struggle until Lewis gets there. Okay, EJ, well, I'm going to do... With- you know I do very well, which is sit on the fence and move it along to say that's all we have time for today. Oh, no, so thank you, you for listening do that to me again. Come on. <laughs> what, what, Listen, what guys, <laughs> Matt, Tommy and I insist. You're not getting away with that. Come on, get off the fence. Yeah, we are insisting. Come on, here we go. Okay, well, look, um, I, I think that the biggest mover, just slightly changing it, because I, I, listen, I can't possibly know, in, um, and I think Red Bull definitely are best place to build on that success. But I think the biggest mover is going to be McLaren, and um, biggest disappointment will be will be Haas, um, who will be at the back again unless they do something remarkably different than what they've been doing. Um, right, gentlemen. That is it. Uh, so I'd like to thank our two amazing guests, Matt and Tommy, who've got their own podcast, of course, P1 with Matt and Tommy. Uh, it's available on all uh, podcast platforms and you can also subscribe to FFS wherever you listen to them. If you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others and leave us a rating and review. Remember, be kind to Eddie as uh, he's very sensitive, uh, but he, we do appreciate it. And you can follow us on social media with the handle at F1 for success. So EJ, thank you very much. Uh, Matt and Tommy, as our guests, uh, any, any final statements, any final plugs you would like to make before we set you free I think the final thing is just thank you so much for having us on it's been a pleasure to speak to both of you um, it's yeah uh, awesome uh, to, to have spoken to, to such experience and and it's it's uh, yeah it's something that my dad is going to be um, very very jealous of so uh, so that'll be something I'll be I'll be letting them know of but yeah uh, P1 with, with Matt and Tommy yeah we're, we're on podcast YouTube um, we're partnered with Stack who are amazing and have allowed us to to build this this podcast stream from the ground up and uh yeah, we've got a P1 live show in, in April that you're, of course, both um, invited to if you want to in London, if you're around. And, Excellent. Uh, yeah. Do, do Stack do anything that Eddie can use? Because he loves a freebie. <laughs> Listen, there is no such thing as a free lunch. DC keeps telling everybody that we are by far the biggest, uh, whereas we know that you guys are. So we need your assistance to bring us up to your level, guys. Come on, make it a fair fight. Absolutely. <laughs> we will let everyone know about this experience. Don't worry. I'll talk about how Eddie Jordan bullied me for an hour. So, <laughs> Tommy's feeling great about the whole experience with Eddie. You though. keep He's going like enjoyable. this. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm on your case, Matt. 
I'm on your case. <laughs> Tommy, any final sign-offs? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, similar to what Matt said, you know, growing up watching, I mentioned as well, you know, that that very first race I watched. So it's been amazing to to talk to you both having, uh, you know, growing up uh, loving, you know, Jordan F1 team and yourself, David, racing. So uh, very, Thank very you, cool Tommy. to be on oh. and chatting. And uh, <laughs> Your Eddie's favourite. I actually made right there is the Jordan... 191 model kit which took me oh, god knows how many love hours you, to make. Tommy. Um, <laughs> so there's one one last thing to get in a You had to get that in, didn't you, Tommy? You had to get yeah. that in. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, it has been great talking to you. Uh, and unless my uh, esteemed colleague from South Africa has any closing uh, remarks, I think the only thing we can do is allow him to do his signature sign-off. And I shall do so with great pleasure. Thanks guys. Ah!